Glad to see all of you here this evening. Uh, I want to tell you before we get started what's happening in the next couple weeks. Uh, Next week, after Thanksgiving, is going to be a great time of worship with the Neighborhood Church. We are going to have a special guest, my man, Keith Kiesler, who is a professor of spiritual formation at Friends University in Kansas. He planted a church in Miami. He works with the Apprentice Institute with our man, James Brian Smith, who wrote those books, The Good and Beautiful God, Good and Beautiful Life, Good and Beautiful Community. But probably most important, our man, Keith Kiesler, is the son of Pastor Kathy and Deacon Sid Kiesler. Hallelujah. Y'all don't believe me. That's some like golf clapping right there. But hey, it's going to be a good time. Hope to see y'all back. Hope you're not traveling too far for Thanksgiving. That's what's going on next week. Then the following week, the first week of December, it is here already. And not just because Becky Knight's been posting on Facebook. Woo, woo, woo. We're talking about Advent. Advent is the season of waiting before Christmas. Even though, Becky, you just wooed, you ain't waiting for Christmas. She's already tuned in to the Star 102.1, listening to Christmas songs, ready to rock. But Advent, as we know, is the church's New Year celebration, and it's the season in which we anticipate the Advent or the coming of Jesus, our King. And it's going to be a great season. Stick around. We're going to make an announcement about what we're up to this Advent for our neighbors. All right. Well, hope you got a hand out now. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've got a lot of work to do tonight. We're going to be looking at the last chunk of this letter. If you've been following along in our series in 1 Thessalonians, you'll know that this is one of the earliest letters that we have in what we call the New Testament. The New Testament comprised of all different kinds of letters, written to all different kinds of churches, but this one is unique. This church was started by a man named Paul and some of his companions, and they went into a city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica was cosmopolitan, it was huge, it was diverse, it was a moving and grooving city. And if you look back in the book of Acts, which is the history of the first church, Acts chapter 17 recounts a story in which Paul rolls into town and he goes into the Jewish synagogue, okay? The Jewish synagogue is where they got together and they read the Old Testament and they did Jewish stuff, Okay, And so Paul sneaks into the synagogue and he starts telling them from the Old Testament scriptures that a guy named Jesus is the promised king that has been spoken of for centuries. So some of these Jews thought, hmm, that's pretty awesome. If this Jesus of Nazareth is a king, I want to get on board. But it wasn't just the Jews that were buying what Paul was selling. There were some Greeks or some original Thessalonians that heard the news of this king. And they said, I want in also. So they said, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. Yes, there's life and salvation in you. And it changed their whole way of living. And then they gathered up and formed a church. This community of people committed to Jesus in his way. You with me so far? Everything sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Well, here's the problem. When you go around town saying that Jesus is king, there are some other people that listened in and said, wait a minute, Caesar is king. It sure looks like it because my dollar bills have Caesar's face. 
and I look around and I see these Roman soldiers in my town. So actually, I'm going to take issue with that. And take issue they did. You read this story in Acts chapter 17. It said some of the Jews were jealous. I love that. These like elder statesmen get jealous because all these other people are bailing on Caesar, bailing on the Jewish way of life to follow this Jewish king Jesus who is doing something new. And so it said they rounded up a group of bad characters. So think West Side Story, they're snapping and they're coming. Or think Sharks and the Jets, think like Frankenstein with the, you know, the, the crowd with the, I don't know, whatever. Bad characters, they're moving in to try to get rid of these Jesus people. And so it said they were banging on the door of this Thessalonian guy named Jason. And they were, knew that Paul and his friends were staying at Jason's house. Nice haircut, by the way, Jason. Did you hit up Castillo's? Rock and roll. So not this Jason, but another Jason. They go to Jason's house, and they're looking for Paul and his companions, and they can't find them. So what they do is they just beat up Jason and these new Christians and say, cut it out. They didn't find Paul and his friends because Paul and his friends bailed and snuck away because more people needed to hear the news that Jesus was king. So what happens when Paul leaves and finally gets settled in a new city is his heart is broken. He's wrecked. He feels like you feel when the McRib leaves McDonald's or when your favorite restaurant goes under. The only thing I can think about is food. But Paul is thinking about these people that he loves deeply and dearly, and he says there is no way they're going to survive because if day one of the church is them running up and beating up people, they're going to have a hard road ahead. So what Paul does is as soon as he gets settled, he sets down to writing. And he writes down one of the earliest letters that we have, and he writes to this brand new church, this young church, and he says, I feel like I've been ripped away from you because he was. And he encourages them, and he says, look, stay strong in the midst of opposition and persecution. It's worth it. It's worth it. Stay strong. Then he says, stay holy because you guys are living this way of life that is so different from this king or that nation or this culture. Stay holy, distinct, set apart. And then you guys remember the last couple weeks we've been going real deep with some theology about what it looks like when Jesus is going to return. What does it look like after death? We had a little bit of a glitch in our recording of the sermon, so we lost the sermon from the day of the Lord. But if you want some Cliff's Notes version, I can send you some stuff or we can talk more about that. But y'all, we went deep. But the reminder I wanted you to take away is when Paul wrote, stay awake, stay woke, stay with your eyes open, and look ahead to the horizon when Jesus will return and make all things new. Stay strong, stay holy, stay awake. And finally, he gives us this shotgun blast of these reminders for this church to stay together and stay the course. The last chunk of this letter that we're looking at is super duper practical. If you've already looked at your handout where we have our scripture focus, you will see in bold at least upwards of 15 to 16 to 17 and even more down at the bottom of the passage of commands slash reminders slash get your stuff together because we've got a new way of life that we need to live together. So I frankly just have been stressing this afternoon because we just can't give ample time to all of these. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna read this passage. 
We're going to look, as you've seen, I've broken it up. We've got some reminders about how to respect and approach leaders. And then we've got some reminders about how to live life together in community. And then you've got reminders of a worshipful life. Like Pastor Bud read earlier, a life as an individual of worship and a life as a community in worship. But we've got reminders, reminders, reminders. We don't have time to get every little detail of all of them. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When we read this, when you look at this, when you look at their questions for reflection on your handout, would you listen in and do what we just sang and listen for the master's calling? Listen for something deep inside you that is connecting the words that you read and the words that you hear to real life people and real life situations. Because if you're like me, you need reminding to stay the course when our relationships break down. You need reminding to stay the course when you feel stretched and doubting and undisciplined and just in a difficult place where you don't feel grateful. You need reminding. So I believe and I trust that for you, just like for me, there is going to be some reminder or two or three that connects to where you are right now in your way, and the invitation is to surrender to Jesus' way and find life on the other side. But more on that in a minute. Let's read this passage, and let's listen to all of these reminders to live life and stay the course together. Beginning in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's toward the end of your Bible. It's there on your handout. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, Help the weak and be patient with everyone. Am I stepping on toes yet? Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what's good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. And then into this benediction or blessing. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. That is, make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with the holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. And in this church we say, thanks be to God. That's a lot, isn't it? We could spend a lot of time unpacking every one of these reminders and what's interesting is you could draw a line in your Bible from each one of those to a teaching of Paul elsewhere in these other letters that he's written to other churches. 
Or you could take it and draw a line way back to the teachings of Jesus. And what we have just read, what we've just experienced, the reason we go back to the story of the Thessalonian church was because this is basically a chunk of Church Life 101. There is reason to believe that the things that we just read, the reason why we can draw a line from Jesus' teaching and then elsewhere to other churches is because this is some of the earliest stuff of what it looked like 2,000 years ago to be a follower of Jesus. And it was real stuff. Because even if you follow Jesus, you still make mistakes. And you hurt other followers of Jesus. And even though you're a follower of Jesus, you still need reminded to rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances, yes? This is church life 101. And the thing is this, you can't really move on to more stuff if we can't get our heads around this stuff. I said that you could draw a line to Jesus' teaching. We're going to talk about that non-retaliation, right? Doing good to all, even if they're wronging you. Jesus said that in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, it's all this teaching that Jesus gives for life in God's kingdom. And when Jesus finished that sermon, he told this whole crowd, anybody who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man that builds his house upon the what? The rock. Okay? So conversely, anybody who hears this kind of stuff that Jesus taught and that we just read, who hears it and then doesn't do it, he's like a foolish person that built his house upon the what, Jesus people? The sand. Now here's what's fascinating about what Jesus said for these kinds of teachings. When the storm comes. Now that should give you pause because in Jesus' illustration... You would want him to say, y'all hear my stuff and then do it. Boom. Free pass. Storm-free life. Nailed it. Awesome. But this dude over here that's built his stuff on the sand, well, <laughs> little pig, little pig. This storm's going to knock you down. What's fascinating is the storms are a given. And everyone shake your head because you have, you are, or you will live through or in a storm. So what is important here is not just that we know a bunch of stuff. Not just that we hear a bunch of stuff. Jesus has leveraged this teaching for these churches, not just Thessalonia, Thess the Thessalonians, but the neighborhood church in Garland. He's leveraged it all on not just hearing, but doing. You don't get it just because you heard it, you can check it off and move on. No, he gives you people an opportunity to live these things. What we say in our church is our faith is not just to be believed, our faith is to be lived. And I'm going to add this word tonight. Our faith is not just to be believed, our faith is to be lived together. Here's what I mean by this. You can hear all day long the stuff that we just read about being patient with all people. And then God gives you children. I can be patient on paper all day. 
drop into my house at 2 o'clock this afternoon when I'm trying to finish this sermon and pray for all you lovely people and my kids are running around like crazy little wonderful chickens with their heads cut off. God gives us opportunities, real-life people, to do the real-life work that Jesus has called us to do. Our faith is not just to be believed. It's not just an exercise of a mind. It's an exercise of our feet. That's why we say we follow Jesus in this life. We don't just use our words and our minds. We use our hands, our hearts, our feet. And we do this together. Our faith is not just to be believed. It is to be lived, and it is lived together. So we've got these leadership reminders, and he says, guys, I'm talking about the people that are trying to organize and shepherd and live out this calling in the mess of the complexities of the human relationships. So he says to honor them, acknowledge them. They're the ones that work. They're the ones that care for you. They're the ones that admonish you. Have y'all heard that word admonish? It's not really a 2018 word, but it's a New Testament word that carries with it this idea of correcting assumptions and actions in order for change, right? Correcting assumptions about God in our life with him and then correcting actions in order to bring about change. That's the difficult stuff that we need leaders and mentors and people in our life to say, hey, this is not the Jesus way. And I'm telling you this because I love you and I want to see correction because your life and healing is at stake. And so I know it doesn't explicitly say pastors or leaders or deacons or community group leaders, but everyone is assuming that's reading this ancient letter that Paul is, number one, talking about the church leaders that filled the void when he and his homeboys had to leave. And he's also carrying with it, number two, this connotation of take care of them. Help support them, pay for them, and respect and acknowledge and consider them and hold them in high regard because we want to free people up to be be available to work hard, to care, to be present. Y'all have afforded me the opportunity to be creative in my week, to do sermons, to read, to suss this out. You've given Bud and Kathy and I space to contemplate the vision, direction, discernment, to pray, to connect with you, to connect with others, and y'all don't even pay all of us. What a gift it is that we have Pastor Bud and Pastor Kathy, they say, you know what, we don't need these full-time, part-time salaries, so what we did to try to acknowledge them and honor them is to say, well, let us at least not cost you anything, right? So we help with mileage, we help with um, paying for lunches and books and these kinds of things, you have people that are in this church that are worthy of honor. You're group leaders that show up every Wednesday night to be there, to text you, to be present to you. These are people that God has called and wired to care for and love people within this community. And I got to tell you, this church goes far and above any of my friends' churches when it comes to Pastor Appreciation Month. Amy and I forget what October is outside of Halloween every October until that first basket of goodies and candy and soda and whatever else shows up at our doorstep. You guys love us so well and we thank you. So these are the reminders. And it's not because of their rank or their status. It's because Paul says of their work. 
right? In that culture, they wanted titles, they wanted big paychecks and CEOs, but the church community that Jesus was forming looked different. They said, no, they're in this regard because they're working and they're loving and they're doing this because God has called them to do it. But then we move to the second chunk of the reminders. This is where we're gonna spend most of our time. We all have a responsibility and a role to play. It's not just about your leaders, right? And that's why he addresses the meat of these reminders to everybody, because we all need reminding. So let me just take a pause and say, let's think back 2,000 years ago to a Roman empire that was conquering all the known world and turning a lot of people into slaves. You had an outrageous number of slaves from all different shapes, sizes, and colors. You had a clearly defined social status caste system, and you had a majority of the Roman world that wasn't slaves making a dollar a day, which makes me feel something when I go to Starbucks and get me a $4 drink. And forget the pumpkin spice, extra cinnamon, dolce, whatever, you're talking about six, seven days wages for your venti coffee. So we have this world, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes, and he's inviting the poor, the marginalized, the outcasts, the women, the children, as we talked about last week, and Pastor Kathy reminded us so beautifully. And then you have these communities that start to follow the way of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the slave owner needs to treat the slave as a brother. And you see these things at the end that I know all y'all want me to talk about to greet all the brothers and sisters with a what? A holy kiss. So guys, we've been messing this thing up big time. I didn't kiss any of y'all tonight. So everyone stand, find someone in the next, I'm just kidding. What's happening here is this. Guys, we need to be a community that functions like a family. And what families did was kiss each other like they do in Europe, like they do in Central America, South America, like they do pretty much everywhere but America because we're weird. But he's saying this is a community that ought to look and feel and act like a family. Sometimes families get pretty messed up, yes? Which is why he gives us these reminders. So we've got different races, different ethnicities, different classes. All of a sudden, for the first time in human history, sitting around the same table. All of a sudden, you've got the woman seated at the table who's helping to lead this church with the wealthy male, and then the poor slave, and then the children are running around the ankles, and all of a sudden, you've got this meeting that looks starkly different from every other meeting in the known world then. But here's the problem. 2,000 years later, we've gone back to our corners. And we like our style music and our style preaching and our style building and our style fill in the blank. And we look the same, we talk the same, we dress the same, we all got the same kind of cars, we're all middle class, upper class, lower class, fill in the blank, but wouldn't it be something if we were to look more and more like a community that not only lives life through the mess, loving and forgiving each other, but also reflecting the neighborhood and showing the world what it looks like to live at peace with everyone, to be patient, to warn, encourage, and do all the things that a family does that look so different from all the other families in the world. Y'all, we're, we're not there. 
But it's hard. It takes time. But what we talked about last week is would we make the move to have an open-hearted posture toward all peoples and then an open-table policy to where when anyone's come here, they're welcome to be a part of the family if they would take a step. Just take the step. We're here. Could we embrace all people before we ever encounter them? And I love, I'm jumping down to the end, very end, where he's talking about the holy kiss. And that's a fellowship term. And he's talking about pray for us. And he's talking about read this letter for everybody, all the family, as if I, Paul the Apostle, were there in person with you. Does this sound familiar? Prayer, fellowship, apostles' teaching. Y'all, day one, square one of the church, Acts 2.42, they were devoted to prayer and fellowship and the apostles' teaching. We have not moved on, church 101. We don't need to know more. We need to live more. This is Jesus' design for Jesus' people from day one, square one, all the way up to November, whatever it is, 17th, 2018. Are we devoted to prayer, to fellowship of all different shapes, sizes, and colors? And then are we devoted to the good news that Jesus is inviting all people into life in God's kingdom? This is what it's about. We don't need to learn some latest and greatest fad. We need to live what we already know. That's why these are reminders. I love this idea of living in peace with each other, and I want to pause and just get super practical here. Paul wrote this in one of his first letters, 1 Thessalonians, but then if you drew that line, you could jump to Romans 12, which is another laundry list of reminders for Church 101, and notice the difference of how he puts it in Romans 12, 18. Can you read that on the screen, just silently where you're at? Okay, so in 1 Thessalonians he says, live in peace with each other. Boom, nailed it. Except it's like, A few months go by, a few years go by, he plants a church in Rome, plants a church in Corinth, plants a church in Ephesus, and he goes, oh yeah, we suck at living in peace. Oh yeah, this requires work. And I love that he says now, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, then live at peace with everyone. Can I just talk real talk with you as we approach Thanksgiving? Some of you aren't going to be spending time with your family, your friends, because some of you haven't talked to your family and friends in a long time, and some of you, it's because they don't want to talk to you. Amy and I come from difficult family situations, and this verse has been a lifeline for us, because let me just remind you that you can only be responsible for you, for your attitudes and your actions. Try to just own what only you can own. And I know how difficult it can be on Thanksgiving and Christmas to try to own everybody else's stuff for the problems of the past. But all you can really do, as far as it depends on you, is to try to live at peace in your own heart. And you pray until the day that that can be a realized peace because it takes two or three to tango sometimes, yes? So one of the things that Amy and I have resolved to do is to live our lives in such a way where we ask questions, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And then there's some other questions. God, what do I need to forgive? 
And then ultimately, God, what do I need to let go? These are some kind of aftermath questions that we even let, like, have to do after uh, argument, shall we say. <laughs> what do I need to own or do? What do I need to forgive? And what do I need to let go? And if you can answer all of those, I believe that that is about as far as you can get, as much as it depends on you. And like the 12 steps, we made amends with all people as much as it was possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. At some point, you can only own and do what you need to do. I think we're clear on that now, but I just know with Thanksgiving com coming up, it's always better in theory than in practice. Within the church, we also have different people at different seasons. And I wanted to cover these because we don't often read the word worn in the New Testament, do we? <clears throat> Did y'all see that? It's right there in the middle of your handout. After he talks about living in peace, he starts to say, warn those who are idle and disruptive. What he's talking about is those people who are living in such a way where, look, they're causing drama for y'all. There are some people in your life that live and feed off of drama, yes? Now, by God's grace, I don't think there's that many people in this church that do that. By God's grace, unless y'all are really keeping it on the down low. But sometimes things pop up. And sometimes we have people that are living in such a way that's disruptive. And what disruptive means is they've gone so far off the reservation, they're teetering on the ledge, and what happens is we need to warn them and remind them that the choices they're making and the life that they're living has consequences. And it's not just consequences for the individual. There are ripple effects that go out and can affect all these others in the community. And so the warning is from a place of love. We talk about all the time in this church. Jesus came and he was full of grace and what? Truth. And so how you know you're warning in the proper way is when it looks less like a hangout all grace, less like a call out all truth, and a call up to say, idle and disruptive person, you are headed toward destruction, let's get back into life, and there's healing and forgiveness on this path. This is a community reminder to warn them that actions have consequences and to get back on track. Well, what about encourage the disheartened? What do you think of when you think of people who are disheartened? These are the people that are just on the brink of giving up. Who are they in your life? Who's that person <clears throat> that is desperate for connection? Desperate for some good word. Perhaps it's not just enough to know. Perhaps it's something to do and to send them a text, to reach out to them this week to encourage those that are just on the verge of giving up. Who is it in our church that's on the margins? Who is it in our church that's drifting to the edge that just needs some word to encourage them? Now, it's not all on you. But you can do what you can do and let God do what he can't, and that is work on their heart and mind and to be in a church that encourages our family back here, to encourage the disheartened, those about to give up. Who are they? Then we see this help the weak. We don't know if this is physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Maybe it's all the above. But who is it that you can help this week? And I'm talking about real life, tangible, let me help you with that and not expect anything back in return. Help 
the week. I love this definition. I've heard it said that ministry is meeting people where they are and walking with them to where God wants them to be. Now, this has eaten my lunch for years because ministry is meeting people where they are, not the six-month more mature version that you think they ought to be. Hello? Jesus met us, humanity, where we were. Jesus meets you today where you are. And he doesn't hold it against you. But Jesus loves us enough to walk with us to where God wants us to be. That's why I love that he closes out this reminder for everybody, no matter who you're meeting, he says this, be patient with everyone. How many of y'all are my short-tempered people in the room? Mm, I see a few brave souls. Dang, I'm surprised this thing has lasted as long as it has. We got a lot of short-tempered people in the house. When Paul says, be patient with everyone, a word that he uses, I love this, I've never heard this, long-tempered. Basically, it translates to be long-tempered. Some of y'all have relationships in your life that you're like that pot of water on the stove that has been boiling and boiling and boiling after years and years and years and years. And even though they may say something or you might do something, you might listen to a sermon like this and you say, I'm going to love them and forgive them no matter what. And you start to turn that heat down for about five minutes, ten minutes, one day, two days, two weeks. What happens when that hot water has just still been simmering and then that short temper comes back up? It's as if you crank it just back up to high heat. How long does it take to boil up again? Jesus is inviting you to extend the wick of your heart to become a long-tempered person with that person you're thinking of right now. Because the context that we live our actual lives is the life that Jesus cares about and wants to transform. Later during the benediction, did you hear where he says, may the God of all peace sanctify you through and through. Does that mean your married life? Does that mean your working relationship life? Does that mean with your kids? Does that mean with your finances? Does that mean with your sexual life? Does that mean with your friendship life? Does that mean in your family life? Does that mean in your whole life? Shake your head yes, through and through means every kit and caboodle. Jesus wants your whole life. He wants us to give our whole life so that, look, he can transform our whole life. Why is it important not just to hear it, but to live it? If you were to actually live it, if you were to really build your house on the rock, you would find that life and love is there on that side. And when the storm comes, you survive. Not because you knew the right thing, but you say, Jesus, I trust you enough to love this person even in the midst of it. Jesus, I trust you to give even in the midst of it. Yes, it's going to stretch you. Yes, it's difficult, just like it was for this church that was getting drugged out into the street because they said Jesus was king. We've not graduated past it 2,000 years later. Be patient, long-tempered with everyone. One of the mantras in our church is to celebrate every step. I'll say it this way tonight. Whoever it is, I think it's on the slides, Whoever it is and wherever they are, celebrate every step toward Jesus. That definition of ministry, right, where God wants them to be, we got all the plans in the world, but we celebrate. Whoever they are, wherever they are, celebrate every step toward Jesus. It's worth taking. I don't have time to get into it, but Jesus speaks 
into this passage. You hear the words of Jesus when he talks about responding to enemies. Did y'all see that? Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Can y'all say everybody? Another thing we say in our church, this is a sermon of reminders. Everyone we encounter is a neighbor to be loved. There are no enemies. Jesus has rezoned our neighborhood. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said, pay back wrong for your enemies. This is Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, I believe. But I say to you, love those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. The way of Jesus breaks the cycle of you did this, so I'm going to do that. Would you trust Jesus in this invitation? Would you trust Jesus and do good to all? And y'all, he wrote that word, strive. It doesn't just happen, does it? That's why elsewhere he says, blessed are the peace, what? Makers. It takes intention. It takes intention. Let's move to the worship reminders as we get down to the end. Like I said, we don't have a whole lot of time, but you see some individual reminders that we read earlier during our scripture and prayer time. I want to take those at the end. First, I want to address this issue of the Holy Spirit's involvement in our community of worship. Do y'all see this? Don't what? He says, do not quench the Spirit. That's a word that says, don't put a spiritual fire hose on the fire of the Holy Spirit. Maybe your translation doesn't read that, but this is something that we don't talk a whole lot about in our church. We don't often talk about things like prophecy or speaking in tongues. I want to say I believe that the full range of what the Spirit wants to do in the church is valuable and viable for churches all over the world, today, tomorrow, and yesterday. In our church, the Holy Spirit hasn't manifested a lot of those kinds of gifts, but the reminder for us is to not pour it out and quench it when these kinds of things happen. I believe in our church that people have prophesied or given utterances that we all just kind of stopped and said, I think the Spirit of God is saying something here, and we need to hush and pay attention. We mentioned this recently, but one time, Kara Vaughn, in a leaders meeting, when we were thinking, what kind of church do we become, she was thinking and speaking after a lot of prayer, she says, I really believe that God has called us to be a this kind of church instead of a that kind of church. We were reflecting on what name we should become, and we said, how about the neighborhood church? And after a lot of prayer, she said, what does our neighborhood need? For a long time, we had been kind of a coffee house, coffee shop, hip, cool, come and hang kind of church. And God used it, God blessed it for that season, for those people for many of us people. But then we moved to this part of town, in this part of the place, we start to reach different kinds of people. And I believe there is this word that said, perhaps God has not called us to be this coffee shop kind of church. Perhaps we're called to be like a laundromat kind of church. That's not a knock on like some socioeconomic thing. How we received it, how we heard it was, we need to be a church that gets our hands dirty, helping people with real, actual needs. The kinds of people we see with all these laundromats in this part of town. 
I don't want to read too far into it, but we tried to do what Paul talks about. To not just extinguish it, not just to detest it or throw it away, but do test it. And here's the testing questions. Does it look like Jesus? Does it sound like Jesus? Are we ready to be called to not just the people we want to be called to, but all kinds of people? That sounds like a Jesus thing. And then it says, do hold on to what's good, and then reject every kind of evil. If it looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, it must be worth hanging on to. Everything else, the manipulation and the, the scheming, oh, we just want to do this or do that, man, really test it and then let it go. But don't throw the baby out with the bath water. But these kinds of muscles are developed when we do the kinds of things that Paul reminds us as individuals, and that is this, to pray continually to rejoice always and to give thanks in all circumstances. We can only get to this place of discerning what God is up to and paying attention and responding appropriately if we're working out our muscles of being in tune, listen here, of being in tune with the God who is with us each and every day when we're washing clothes and washing dishes and going to work and taking our kids to school. God wants all of your life, yes? Does he want to sanctify you through and through, or does he just want your church life for two hours on a Saturday and a Wednesday? No. That's why there's this consistency, this continuity. And so here's my stab at what Paul might be meaning. You can look at it on the screen. To rejoice always is to live with an abiding state of light, even in darkness. Y'all know it's different from happiness, right? Happy says that my circumstances dictate my reality. Joy says Jesus dictates my reality. So that when the storm is beating on the house, I've built it and lived it, and I'm saying, Jesus, you're with me through it. Then we can live that way, I think, if we pray continually. To pray continually is to live with an awareness of God's presence, at all times and in all places. We worship a God who is God with us. That word continually doesn't mean I'm praying, I'm praying, hey, how are you doing? Lord Jesus, please bless him. Yeah, I'll take a Big Mac, Lord Jesus, please bless him. And a Coke, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, oh, oh, don't supersize it, got it. Okay, yes, Jesus. And no, 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 it's not this conscious stream of consciousness. What it is is living in light of the fact that he is with us always. I love what Dallas Willard says. That prayer is talking to God about what we're doing together. What would it look like for you this week to go about your day-to-day life with an awareness, a persistence, to just pray throughout your day when it happens, when you see it, when you see this person, and when you're not actually vocalizing prayer, just try to stay awake to the fact that, God, you're with me. You're with me. Then he says to give thanks in all circumstances. Perhaps to give thanks in all circumstances is to live with an acknowledgement of God's grace in every situation. Every two weeks, I go down to Our Calling, our kingdom partner and friends down there, and they have a worship service on Wednesday mornings, and I go super early, and uh, I sing worship songs for a room full of our homeless friends that we see on Mondays and throughout the week. And um, it was really a struggle for me a guy who's been singing and playing guitar for a long time, because I love to get up and say like, hey, God is good, and let's worship, and yay, hooray. And I'll be honest with you, 
I felt like a phony and a fraud when I'd get up there and it was 25 degrees last night and they slept outside and they're having a really rough time. And it's hard to start singing, this is amazing grace. And it took time and it took the people at our calling, my homeless friends, to come and say, look man, I woke up today on this side of the dirt and I've got a reason to sing. And they're teaching me and they're showing me what it looks like to give thanks in all circumstances. To give thanks for breath that we didn't generate on our own, for the life that we didn't generate on our own, for the food that they couldn't afford on their own and we couldn't afford on our own, and for all the things that we have tuned out because we just have this entitlement. But to give thanks continually, continually is to recognize the gifts that God gives us. All of these things, continually, in all circumstances, always, is enough to say that even in the storm, you have reasons to sing, reasons to celebrate. And I want to close with this story and this phrase that he leaves his Thessalonian brothers and sisters with. He is faithful. Did y'all see that? After that benediction of Man, all this stuff, if you live it, he's going to sanctify you through and through. He says, the one who called you is faithful, and he will do it. Speaker and author Rob Bell tells a story. Years ago, when his son was young, they were taking a vacation, and he strapped his infant son to the back. Y'all know one of those baby Bjorns? Here's a picture that might help you get the image. And he was going on a walk around a lake in a remote area of where he lived. And it was a beautiful day. It was the kind of day like today where you go out and you take a walk. And they were walking around this lake and they get to the halfway point where they are as far away as they could be. And the only choice they had was to walk the same length back to the house. Well, y'all know what's going to happen, right? As soon as you get that far away, that beautiful, perfect day becomes a cloudy day. And he's got this little two-year-old strapped to his back, and he begins to tell this story of how the clouds began to form and gather. And drip by drip by drip, his little infant son, Trace, is getting soaked. He thought he had put the hood back on the guy, but guess what? Tyler's mess with stuff, the hood's off, and by a few moments, he's screaming, shrieking. His only reality is the storm. His only reality is the rains that have come and were going to end this little one in his mind. And then he said he took him and he held him at the front of his chest so tight so tight to try to shield him as best he could from the rain. And he said that long mile home, he just kept repeating, we're going to make it. I'm right here. Hold on, buddy. We're going to make it. Because he said what my infant son Trace didn't realize when all he saw was the storm and all he felt was the rain, what he didn't realize is that his dad would do everything to make it home. And as we close this powerful letter to a faithful and embattled church, would we stay the course because the one who called them has called us 
And the one who was faithful then is faithful now, and he will get us home. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for those who've gone before us, brothers and sisters down through the ages who have said yes to you and who've given their lives, sometimes figuratively and many times literally. We thank you for those who have lived this life and showed us how to live it, who followed Jesus even through the storms, who've built their lives not just on hearing but on doing the hard work of loving enemies, forgiving others, living at peace, listening to the Spirit, to give, to pray, to rejoice. So Lord, we just pray that you would seal upon our hearts and our heads a reminder or two that's for us. A daily bread word for us to take with us into our real life relationships and situations that you want to touch and you are faithful to meet us in there. You will bring us home. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive your benediction for tonight? May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you ready for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. Now go in his peace and his love. You are dismissed.